Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. And welcome back. On this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Haida Al Hakim. Haida is former CMO, Chief Medical Officer, psychoanalyst, ophthalmologist, and author, podcast, and radio host. He's quite a character, and we had a really, really interesting chat. We didn't touch too much on the business of healthcare, if I'm going to be completely honest, because Haida's interest is about the person and what go what the stuff that you can't see. So he wants to know about people, what makes them tick, and he said his underlying value is about stopping from people suffering. So we just had a, just a really nice, insightful, deep chat. We talked about the importance of having a strong ego and not a big ego. We talk about sleep and the importance of dreams to help us surface our unconscious. And we also talked about the importance of not getting so caught up in the success and the material things lots of people strive for. And we talk about going against the grain. And Haida likes to mix kind of science and soul and spirit and that he found himself in institutions and situations where he was going against the grain. And I really just like his advice and that essentially don't give up, stick at it, learn the system you are in to understand it better and then work out how you can change it and how you and what allies you need around you to help support the change. As always, I hope you enjoy it and I will see you in the next episode. So, hi, um, Hayda. How are you doing? And thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. Hello, Tara. I'm well. I'm very well, actually. I'm even more well now, now that I'm on this uh, with you. So, we were just having a conversation before we got started, and that I don't know what it is, but for some reason, I think it's because you've got such an established podcast, I was very nervous to interview you. Yeah, I mean, nerves is nerves is a good thing, actually. I think nerves is a good thing. It means that, that there's something special here or that, or, or that there's something meaningful here or that there's something purposeful here. So if you've got nerves and it's a good thing, it means some great stuff is going to come out from this. And um, to be honest with you, I've always had nerves, to be honest. <laughs> and I think as you grow older, you learn to kind of, you know, roll with the punches, so to speak. Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, that's what I've done with my podcast is that, you know, I've, I've interviewed quite a lot of 
um, high profile individuals and I, I've just got to switch off the nerves and just carry on and just get on with it. So tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Haider Al-Hakim. Uh, I was born in Baghdad in 1975. Um, I came here at the age of four. Uh, my dad's a, a zoologist, so he came here to do his PhD in Nottingham. Um, I come from a, a quite a famous political and religious family in Iraq. So um, that's my background. But, but my dad put that aside and went into scientific academia. So I grew up in that environment, the kind of clashes between East and West, between science and non-science, uh, the physical and the metaphysical. So I was sort of brought up in this kind of conflict uh, environment, really. And, you know, coming to the West, it's, you know, it's different, you know, and you're from the East. And so that played a big part in my kind of internal makeup. You know, what am I? Am I you know this this polarity negative or positive so um i grew up with that kind of dichotomy i was good enough to get into medical school i went to barts in london i think that wasn't the right medical school for me because it's very traditional english you know they were still stuck in their old ways kind of thing and uh, but but the plan was always to go back home to iraq that was always the plan you know to get my medical degree I was good enough to get into ophthalmology, so I, I, I trained in London, became an ophthalmologist, and then luckily, you know, there was the invasion um, of Iraq and the liberation of Iraq in 2003. 2004, I went back home. I went back home. Uh, I hadn't been there in, in 27 years. You know, because we're involved in politics, we're against Saddam, and Saddam executed 54 members of our family, so we obviously couldn't go back home. So when the regime changed, there's the opportunity for me to go back. And I'm the kind of sort of person that doesn't really think about things. I just jump straight in. I'm a kind of intuition kind of individual rather than a thinking individual. And on a, on a psychological level, they're kind of two opposites. Intuition is opposite to thinking um, on a psychological personality level. So I went straight in and yeah, I thought, wow, you know, 2004, I thought, yeah, this is the place for me. So I kind of worked my way, you know, I had a plan of going back home and improving the ophthalmic uh, service in Iraq. I sort of left my NHS training in 2005, you know, without thinking, of course, uh, went to Iraq, bought a place, started doing some ophthalmology work. And then I realized that I needed some kind of serious funding. So I came back in 2006, set up a charity here in the UK called the Al Hassan Foundation. And um, yes, yeah, so I was going back and forth every six months doing operations and setting up services from 2006. And then 2010, I literally sold up here in the UK and went back to Iraq. And we got some good funding from the US government, from DFID at the time. It was called DFID, Department for Foreign and International Development. So yeah, I kind of burnt my bridges back in 2010, went to Iraq, and we had uh, three clinics running. We did, uh, I don't know if you know about uh, retinopathy of prematurity, which is um, where neonates get um, abnormal uh, blood vessels in their retina, and it can bleed. So there was uh, none of that services set up in Iraq, so I, I, I set up that service. So yeah, we, we did a lot of good. 
Um, but I found that my kind of internal makeup was changing. Everything around my life was based on a particular ideology, which was a very religious ideology. But then slowly but surely, your ideology changes. So your internal makeup was changing, but my external reality was the same. So then I had this kind of dissonance between internal and external. And I slowly but surely become more and more burnt out and more and more stressed because um, externally I was the same person, but internally I was totally different. And why do you think, what was going on inside? Um, just kind of, instead of seeing the, the positives and the good stuff, I was looking at all the negatives, you know. Uh, whereas before, obviously there were bombs going off and, you know, you, can, you, know, you, you know, you saw the stuff that was going on on CNN. But because my internal makeup was stable and was looking at all of the positives around me, I could keep working in those really, really difficult situations. But, you know, really it was because my internal outlook changed. So I had to change my internal dialogue. And for me to do that, I had to justify myself by looking at the negatives to logically justify that I shouldn't be here. You see what I mean? I changed the narrative from something negative into something positive. But, you know, when you're in a kind of a stable external environment, you know, it's difficult to change that thing because, you know, you've got the cars, you've got the homes, yeah, you've got the status, you know, you've got that status. And, you know, human being status is actually a very powerful driving force for you to stay where you are. Is your status as a consultant important to you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time it, it was externally, but internally I knew I needed to move on from this to change. So where are, so now, today, is that title important to you? No, no. I mean, the, the problem is then you go up to the next level. What is the next level? You know, so it's like you're running an organisation, so you're not just um, in charge of individual patients and the care of patients. When you start running organisations, you're in charge of other people's lives and other people's livelihoods and other people's mental well-being. So, you know, the stakes are higher. But, you know, how invested are you in that status? You know, that's, you know, that's the issue. And, you know, that's when the ego comes in and that's when your sort of personal ego comes in and it sort of causes a lot of problems because positions of leadership is, is a sort of ego-less position. And, you know, the quicker you realize that, the better. And, you know, in my experience, in my leadership experience, you know, it, it's, it's actually very difficult I mean, you know it, but you don't actually act it. You know, you still have that high ego kind of position, which is damaging. It's damaging, uh, you know, for the people around you. How do you know that it's damaging to other people? So when you're, you know, like you're going along your day-to-day -day life, I think lots of people start in, not in, well, medical school, or they start on their career, and they want more, and they want to go up. They may not know exactly how that looks like, but you want to progress. How do you progress without letting your ego and title and money dictate your path? So the first question was different to the second question. The first question, how, you know, how do you know that it's your ego? Yeah. And, you know, so that is you get a lot of problems coming towards you. So, you, you know, you get a lot of hassle. You know, you get a lot of people who are irate, uh, unhappy coming to you with their problems uh, and or they create problems for you. So 
your internal status and your external status are together. So there's an, an, an equilibrium between your, your external environment and your internal environment. So if it's going bad outside, it means it's going bad inside. You know, so that's the first thing. The answer to your second question is, it's, it's related to service and being selfless. So that's what it's about. Now, unfortunately, that has a negative connotation to it. Because if you're constantly you know, serving other people, when do you serve yourself? You know, and that's the biggest reason why doctors burn out and, 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 and physicians burn out and, and healthcare providers and um, pro uh, professionals burn out is we're expected to keep serving others and, and serving um, other systems, but we rarely, if ever, serve ourselves. Um, and I, you know, I, I did a video recently, which is, you know, a very controversial uh, video, which says, which is basically saying, don't serve anyone apart from yourself. Serve yourself first in healthcare. And the more you serve yourself, the better you are at serving other people, which goes totally against, you know, what the sort of the current trend is. But, you know, you literally have to know what increases your, uh, your life force and increases your battery. What do you do to serve yourself first? So, you know, the really basic things like exercise, you know, I'm a real exercise junkie. Unfortunately, it hasn't been happening these days because uh, I'm a kind of believer of, of, of the gym, really. This is going out a little bit later, but it's the 24th of July. They open today. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, so yeah, I'm a real gym goer. So for me, it, it's literally the first thing I have to do is get out of bed and go straight to the gym. So, you know, that kind of release of, of, of thinking and tension and sort of, um, I mean, I tend to overthink in the mornings. And that's when I get my overthinking process. So if exercise is so important to you, I feel like I just heard an excuse. You said it's really important to you, but you like to go to the gym and because of lockdown, you haven't been going. So, yeah. So, I mean, what I've done is I've adapted now. I've adapted because I know I can't go to the gym. Um, so, yeah, bike. I'm a, I'm a fan of getting on the bike and just sweating. And, and um, I'm a real fan of sweating. And I tend to talk a lot, actually, you know, surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, even though I've got a podcast. So um, I found that, if I'm actually sweating and talking, I produce quite good content. And that's how I did. <laughs> yeah, that's how I did my book, you know, Physician on Fire. I, I, I literally sweat, you know, get on the cross trainer, sweat for half an hour. And then I produced the content of my book. And I did that for 30 days. Um, and I've got 30 chapters all, all done. I knew that I produced my best content because when you're, when you're sweating, when you're exercising, you, you quieten the mind and then sort of all this chatter quietens down and what you're left with is essentially what, what the heart is saying and what your internal being is saying or you know what I call your internal psyche is saying and that's when the real stuff comes out because your mind or your ego in a sense stops you from saying the real stuff because you've got so many other um, attachments you know, outside attachments that you're attached to. So you get your real stuff coming out. So I was on uh, a, um, a Facebook group and I started uh, basically doing videos of me on the cross trainer, sweating and just saying how it's great to be sweating and I hope you go, go out there and, you know, in the gym and sweat. 
and they kicked me out the, out of the group. They said this is totally inappropriate. And then a number of GPs um, kind of rallied for me, and then they did hashtag hashtag bring back Hyder you know, on, the, <laughs> I love it. on Twitter. And I thought that was so cute. I thought, oh, you guys are just absolutely awesome. Um, but they said no, he's not coming back. And then a few of the GPs contacted me and they said, Hyder, man, you know, we need to do something about this. I said, great. <laughs> yes. and, and I said, well, what would you suggest? So, so we set up the Sweaty Healthcare Professional Group. This was like five years ago. So what we do is, yeah, is literally just stuff about us sweating. <laughs> would you say that you go against the grain? I hate the grain. <laughs> I know hate is a is a is a powerful word, but I think I mean you know what I do. I mean you know, given that I do psychoanalysis work, is I'm given this wall by someone, but then I see a few holes in the wall which they don't see, and I say, do you know what? You've got a few holes here. See, you know, for you to find those holes, you got to go against the grain, and um, you know, I, I think coming from the east, and you know, I come from a, a small minority. Um, you're always looking to sort of duck and dive and look at where things are going wrong. But but the problem is you can't really say it because you're a, you know, a minority and you are at a lower status. You do need to have to wait until you go up in status before people start listening to you. Do you? I mean, now it's easier because you've got social media and, you know, you have an easier platform. But back in the 70s and 80s, you know, there wasn't much um, media then, uh, unless you got lots of money. But now, I'm um, now it's great. I mean, you know, if you have a um, something that's useful to say, or something that's um, against the grain, and 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 as you know, anything that's controversial, anything that goes against the grain, does get traction. You know, these days, something that will always um, um, be beneficial for the for the outliers or the outsiders. So I know titles and status are not important but the reason why I wanted you on the podcast is you are an author you have got your own podcast you are a consultant ophthalmologist um, you are an immigrant you have established your own charity wound it down you've got pri- private business I think it I think it is important to recognize your accomplishments and I think it's interesting at the beginning of this interview you use words like I was good enough I was good enough I set up this I set up that you know you are commuting you're not commuting you know you're living in I don't know what you call it you know like you're living in two countries you're constantly going back and forth back and forth that takes tremendous resilience a lot of business acumen um so I think that whilst you like to go against the grain you know like you are a successful healthcare entrepreneur do you recognize that in yourself not really not really and you know this is all to do with the way I was brought up where you know you don't celebrate your successes you know it's just a byproduct of your work and you know being in this kind of buddhist like mentality where yeah you know you just meditate and and it's fine you know um you don't need the ferrari you don't need um you know the material wealth uh, or the recognition or the status so that's the kind of upbringing i had um but then when you're put in positions of i mean recently i was a chief medical officer for a rather large healthcare provider private healthcare provider here in the uk 
and are surprised how important status is in the sense that you have a voice and you're able to help other individuals in their career paths. And that's something that um, I found alien to me because I've always considered it a selfless act for me to do what I'm doing and I don't want any reward. But do you get paid? You get paid, you get paid. And, and most of my clients, money is not an option. And my family is fairly wealthy anyway. So I, I think for me, money, I mean, it's nice, but I think for me, it's just bringing that service to other people and that reducing of suffering. You know, that's the kind of value, underlying value when I'm working. And that is so much more uh, enjoyable than, you know, having a massive bank account and having a yacht and, and you know, driving around in, in your Porsche and what have you. wouldn't know I've got a Ford EcoSport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice. I mean, it's nice. I mean, my uncle is, is, a, is a very well-known political figure uh, in Iraq and, and he had the Ministry of Oil at one point in Iraq. So, you know, I mean, I've seen wealth and I've seen big palaces and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's nice. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking it. But the human being's bigger than that, if that makes sense. And, you know, when I sit there with the politicians and, you know, we, we, we have proper chats and, and so on. Yeah, meaning and purpose and reducing of suffering. Tell me, what does a day look like when you are seeing patients? If it's in the private sector, I, I don't see more than two patients a day. Yeah, in the private sector. And, you know, they tend to be psychoanalysis patients. So it's, you know, very interesting, deep conversations about, about their psyche. And I find that really, really stimulating because, you know, I like the esoteric, so to speak. And we get very esoteric and... Uh, mythological about their dreams and fantasies that's on the private sector i still do uh, nhs work so um nhs is busy i probably see about 28 30 patients a day and it's nice because you know you're reducing their suffering you're bringing uh, um, a lot of relief to them uh and you know you feel that there is this kind of you know giving back because I've, I've had so much from medical school, from the NHS, from the system here. Yeah, it's, it's great to give back. But, you know, I, I know I can't do that, like, every day. So the maximum I do is, like, two days a week. And tell me about your podcast. Yeah, so that was interesting. Podcast, um, so, yeah, back in 2000. So I left Iraq in 2000, uh, left Iraq in 2010. Then I was there working. Essentially, I burnt out because I was changing inside of me. And around 2012, uh, a friend of mine came from the UK and he said, you know, what the fuck's going on? You're sort of so down and, you know, you've changed, you know, you lost your sparkle. Uh, I said, duh, duh, duh. And, he, and then he said, well, you should see a life coach. And I was like, what, you know, what the fuck's a life coach? I eventually saw a life coach, uh, a guy called Brendan Burchard. Back in 2000, end of 2012, he wasn't that well known. To people that don't know who he is, like he's, he's a very, very famous life coach, speaker, author, trainer. He's huge. Yeah, but back then he wasn't. But I think he, he's probably better back then because there's less fluff. Because when, when, when you reach a stage in, in sort of status, you've got to do a lot of fluff at the same time marketing and you've got all these different agents and so on but anyway I mean that's my assessment of things you know that he was a lot more real 
back then because he could really immerse himself um, with the clients. And then, you know, he, he just changed my perspective. And then he said, well, you should start listening to podcasts. And I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast back in 2013. And then I got into um, mixed martial arts. And, and so, yeah, that's my, the start of my podcast journey back in 2013. And then I thought, do you know what? I should start my own one. And, and really, it was listening to podcasts that got me out of my funk. and my. I mean, I got the stage of suicide, really. You know? So that was, you know, that, you know, that's how bad it got for me. Um, so really, podcasts saved my life. Um, and... Yeah, I thought, well, you know, let me start my own one because I'm good at listening and I'm good at talking and I've got a sexy voice. So. Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 2018, I started it uh, in October, uh, Surgical Spirit Podcast. And, yeah, it's just, you know, talking to people and just having an interesting, deep conversation, uh, people involved in healthcare and And, you know, we're interested in well-being and health and, being happy and you know with a bit of spirit flavor to it as well tell me about what's the spirit flavor the spirit flavor is like the personal flavor you know that's what you want the personal side of things the individual side of things because every every soul is um is an individual soul so everyone has a, a unique take to things and that's what it you know that's what the spirit side of things talks about so I was listening, I've been listening to a few of your podcasts. I was listening to one where you had two of your friends on and you were talking about diversity. What, about about racism? Yeah. Yeah, so I had two podcast hosts there and a third guy as well. Um, and this was uh, the beginning of this year. Yeah, we wanted to talk about racism and, you know, how the system was institutionally racist. And at the time, it, you know, it didn't really explode, did it? Sort of, uh, it was before it exploded. We all experienced racism back then. Do you experience it now? No. <laughs> I think it's because of the position I'm in. But having said that, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of experience, a lot of quality that they can give, a lot of acumen and know-how, and yet are not brought into the system because they don't quite fit into the culture or into the racial demographic the land. So, yeah, I think it still exists, but it is very um, implicit rather than explicit. I mean, you know, they talk about unconscious bias and, you know, me being a psychoanalyst, everything is unconscious and everything is in, in the unconscious. You know, you as a, a human being, you know, you're like essentially an iceberg. Everything above the water is actually conscious. Everything below the water is unconscious. And most of your actions are actually unconscious actions. And, you know, me being a psychoanalyst, what, what we try and do is actually uncover all the unconscious that's going on inside. And the best way to do that is to look at your dreams and your, and your fantasies and uh, your intuitions and uh, your premonitions. It's interesting that you spoke about dreams. If you don't dream and you don't have fantasies, how do you bring the unconscious to the conscious? What are you working with? So, you know, the commonest cause for, for not dreaming is actually stress. So individuals who are stressed tend not to dream quite well or have very vivid dreams. And if they do have dreams, the um, cognitive processes damp it down because you're, you've got the stress process happening. I always thought that if you didn't dream, you're, you know, like you're all good. No, I, you know, in my opinion, dreams are actually essential. Dreams are a matter of life and death, and dreams are what it's all about, really. 
God, I never dream. And you know, the, the simplest step is actually just to think about dreaming before you sleep. So that's obviously there are certain stresses which you need to seriously think about reducing. That's the first thing. And we all know what the biggest stress in our lives are. You know, we don't need to talk about them because you know what it is inside. Um, and it's just a matter of action going about doing something about it, you know, reducing that stress, if that makes sense, because there's a million one different causes of stress. But you all know what the top three stresses are in our lives. And there's always one thing we can do about it to reduce it, whatever it is. When your patients come to see you, and I know they're coming to you for a variety of reasons, but in a nutshell, what are you helping them with? Knowing themselves. So they've got lots of unconscious processes, which they're unconscious about. So I'm helping them to know themselves, to make the unconscious conscious. How do they know to see, not you specifically, but how do they know they need to come and see a psychoanalyst? Well, they don't really. And I think um, you kind of stumble up upon it, just like I did, <laughs> you know, through my processes, uh, through my experiences, I came across, you know, Freud and Jung. And, you know, that was the start of, of things, basically. And then I went into analysis and then I went into training and I thought, oh, my God, this is a whole new different ball game. And, you know, these, um, you know, this line of work came from physicians. So Freud was a neurologist and Jung was a psychiatrist. So it's steeped in in medicine. But at the same time, it's steeped in the esoteric as well, which is which is what I really, really enjoy is it common for, you know, like you've got two specialities, two very different specialities. Where does your heart lie? Definitely on the esoteric side of things. Definitely on the esoteric side of things. So, you know, when I'm seeing my ophthalmology patients, you know, we do delve into the other stuff, you know, non-eye stuff. And they really enjoy it. You know, oh, okay, I've got 10 minutes to see the patient, but I can do the ophthalmology in 30 seconds, you know, one minute because it's a physical side of things and you you know you can see it there in front of you but 9 minutes of of, of that 10 minutes is is literally about the psychological aspects of their life and i'm biased obviously because i think everything's psychological which originates in the psyche which which means soul in the ancient languages um so yeah i think you know if we can bring soul into into healthcare you know it becomes uh, quite interesting but it's it's different from psychotherapy. So so you know I am a, I do have a diploma in psychotherapy, and psychotherapy is is more therapeutic, which means you're giving therapy to someone else. Whereas um, on the psychoanalysis side of route, it it's it, it's more of a, a coaching side of thing, where the answers are actually in the client rather than yourself. So I find you know that's a nice kind of dichotomy there as well. Do you still see a coach? Yeah. Yeah, I still see a coach. I'm still in analysis. So yeah, I'm always having someone keeping an eye on me just to make sure I don't go totally off. And I think it's important. It's important to, that everyone has someone that they trust, someone that has um, a certain degree of knowledge that they respect, and someone that they can talk to and can um, be honest about, about themselves and what's, what's working, what's not working. Uh, and I think it's a continuous process because we're, we're constantly changing. You know, we're not just physically changing, we're also changing psychologically on a daily basis. It's important to realise and understand this change that's going on within you. Have you found yourself changing and questioning yourself and your life due to COVID? Or has that 
that your mindset around that been pretty steady? At the start, yeah. At the start, I was very questioning and, and you know, quite confused, really. And I think um, that lasted for about three to four weeks. So, you know, the initial shock of the total change to our whole, you know, the whole life, you know, the whole world. And then I got it. Surprise, surprise. So it's quite interesting how you kind of this kind of psychological questioning and psychological uh, breakdown and your foundations fall down. Then you get the sort of the invasion of the outside forces and then you rebuild your um, uh, yourself again and then you're totally different. So I think that's happening in healthcare. So everyone's trying to rebuild the new norm following the, um, you know, this pandemic. When you say, I got it, surprise, surprise, why did you say that? Well, you know, you're not expecting to get ill and be invaded by pathogens. You know, it's this kind of ego uh, thing that you're invincible and you know, nothing can, can stop you. How long were you out of action for? Physically, uh, five days. Physic- so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a strong, like, flu kind of thing. Body shakes and, and, and body pains and temperature and, and cough. And after about a, a week after that, I was absolutely fine. Do you think in the next five years I would like to do X, Y, and Z, or do you just go with the flow, flow down? I don't road? actually. I don't. I don't look. I mean, people that I've worked with who want me to sort of work in the future and go backwards and sort of stuff like that, um, I, I find that too restraining and, and and too descriptive and too. Yeah, it's just not me. I tend to work by the day, so I work. Okay, I, I'm going to do this today, and that's it. So I work literally day by day. And things just start start happening. So, you know, when I got the CMO job, I was headhunted out of nowhere, literally. And, you know, that's how that happened. And then and then this person comes along and then this person. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 um, what we call in psychoanalysis world synchronicity, where things happen to you out of the cause and effect continuum. So do you believe in planning? We don't, so are you saying we don't you don't need to plan? I mean, that's a very interesting philosophical question. You know, is it all planned? You know, is it all fate? So is it predestined or do you have a choice? Well, no, the question is, are you saying you don't need to plan? I'm an intuitive, yeah. Um, But I'm working on my kind of thinking ability. So I'm planning more and more (laughs) in my older age. I'm thinking, do you know what? Planning is a good idea. So, you know, um, financial planning, structural planning, but in terms of work, in terms of delivery of healthcare, there are other people who are much better at planning, if that makes sense. It's just intuition and decision making, which make good leaders because that's what you want from leaders. Make decisions, quick decisions, and then move the boat in that direction and see where we get. I'm a project manager, so when somebody says, mm, you don't need to plan, instantly, my body has a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> okay. So you'll come to me and you say, look, we want A, B, C, and D. What are we going to do? Do you want A or B? And what are you doing? We'll go A. Twiddling your fingers. No, we'll say we'll go, we'll go with A. And then after two weeks or, or, or a month, you say, look, this isn't working. What do you think of this? And I'll say, yes or no. So we get the ball. That doesn't seem that intuitive. Why? If I come to you with some options and then you choose, to me, intuition is just like, 
I've woken up and I think I'm just going to go for a run. I'm not going to plan it. I'm just going to go and see where see where the road takes me. I'm just going to yeah. go. Yeah, or, but you're still decided to run. You know, there's still a, an element of thinking there. But the actual where am I going to run and for how long and how many calories I'm going to burn, da, 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 da. I'm not going to plan all that kind of stuff. But I still need to make the decision that I'm going to run. Okay, so you do make some decisions. Yeah. But then, you know, you have to develop all of your qualities. So you have to de- develop more of the intuition and less of the thinking. And don't let the thinking overpower the, in- the intuition. For me, I need to do more thinking and less of the intuition. And don't let the intuition overpower the thinking. How do learn to follow their intuition more just be comfortable with uncertainty be comfortable with not knowing the answers what is it that is so uncomfortable about not knowing the answer because it's a non-ego thing you see that's what it is it's a non-ego thing the ego wants all the answers all the planning but i thought ego everyone has an ego and sometimes it's good for your ego to maybe raise its head a little bit sometimes yeah i mean we live in uh, an individualistic experience what you want is a strong ego not not a big one so a strong ego is something that can take all the knocks something that can withstand the suffering and the pain and the noise and and and, and the failures so that's a strong ego so that is essential but you don't want a big one that just wants to control everything control yourself and other people so it's this control thing and, and, and I mean, you want control physiologically, but not pathologically. And if you can limit that to yourself, then that's good. But once you extend your ego to other things, that's when it gets a bit, a bit too much. Do you think you've got another business or another charity or another thing in you that you would like to pursue? Well, actually, someone came with an opportunity yesterday. And I found it really interesting. So I'm, I'm going to be having a chat with him. What was, it, like, roughly, what was the opportunity? Essentially digital healthcare, psychoanalytical digital healthcare. And, you know, bringing other healthcare providers into the digital space. You know, because, you know, because they are quite old-fashioned and, and archaic and, you know, archetypical and, you know, that kind of old stuff. So bringing it forward into the 21st century. And making it more relevant to the 21st century, I think that's important, you know, making the, uh, the old-fashioned values relevant to the 21st century. And to close out, at the beginning of this interview, you said that you found yourself in medical school and you didn't quite fit. You obviously stuck it out. What advice would you give to somebody early on in their career, or right now, wherever they are in their career, and they find themselves in an organisation where they don't quite fit. You initially said you kind of have to wait till you rise up the ranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your advice? Well, I think so. I mean, looking back, I was a bit, I, I think I was a bit too impatient. And I just wanted to get out and too soon. And I think I didn't learn that system more. I was still thinking about my own way of thinking that makes sense so I think um, do less thinking about your system and learn other ways of working so if you don't agree with, with, with how the NHS is working if you don't agree with how the medical school is is delivering their curriculum learn it anyway 
understand their system, understand how it doesn't work, understand how they make mistakes, understand how they don't teach well. That way, you know, you'll be much more informed on how to deliver it better in your style. So patience is not nice. <laughs> but yeah, stick it out. Yeah, stick it out. Obviously, if it's totally messing up your, 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 your mental well-being, then get help. But get help, see a therapist, see a counselor, see someone who's, uh, who helps in, in mental health well-being, see a coach, get support, but stick it out in the system that doesn't work. And then slowly chip away at people who have some sort of influence that can change the system. I think it's important to have that kind of uh, higher level uh, individual who's, who, who's able to have a, uh, a bigger voice. I think that way, you know, you can save your well-being and at the same time understand what's not working and moving forward. But yeah, I think sticking out is good. And at, at the end of the day, we need, you know, we need doctors and healthcare professionals. You know, we are hemorrhaging a lot of these professionals and it's a worthwhile profession. So yeah, I'll say stick it out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Yeah, they can come to my website, drhaidalhakim.com. Um, or my podcast, Surgical Spirit Podcast, and I'm on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter and and uh, Instagram. Haida, thank you so much for joining me. I'll speak to thank you. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram again at THC Primary Care or on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you really like it, it would be great if you left us an iTunes five star rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode.